Let's begin our time of worship as we sing 439, I have a shepherd, one I love so well, how he has blessed me, tongue can never tell, on the cross he suffered, shed his blood and died, that I might ever in his love confide. Yes, I'll stand to see.
read our psalm for today, Psalm 58. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be cut as cut in pieces. As a snail which melteth, let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, <coughs> so that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. May the Lord bless his word to every heart. It's a very familiar text of Scripture that's been in our hearts today, one that we know so well, a great promise that the Lord has given to all of his children, and it's Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you were with us this morning at the early season of prayer, we read quite a sizable part of Romans chapter 8, and we rejoiced in so many of the great truths, the Spirit that helps our infirmities, especially in times of prayer, the inseparable love of God, those final verses that remind us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and not least the reality here in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. We sang together, as we always do, and we sang that great unchangeable truth, dear Savior, thou art mine. There's nothing can, can change that, no matter what comes our way, uh, to be able to say, I know thou art mine. That's the greatest knowledge that we have. And we also sang days are filled with sorrow and care, and how burdens are lifted at Calvary. There's so much sickness in the congregation at this time, Little baby in hospital, little Joa. We think of the Hegarty family and the Buick family, and we pray for the recovery of little Joa. An old lady at the end of life, it would seem, our sister Maureen Connolly. But we're thinking especially of Lydia that's here with us, and I know maybe coming today is a difficult time, but it's good to be with God's people, it's good to be in God's house. And we think of Lydia and Ryan. Because just this week, it's been a, a dark time because Lydia has received a diagnosis that 
nobody wants to receive. And she has been diagnosed with lymphoma, form of cancer, and uh, will have to start very, very soon chemotherapy. So she's very much in our thoughts today. A storm has arisen. And we've often thought about the storms. Even in the studies in Mark's gospel, we've thought about the storms arising in our lives, and yet there is peace in the midst of the storm. And the Savior is still able to stand up in our circumstances and speak those words, peace, be still. And he still comes in the storm and he says, it is I, be not afraid. There is an anchor that he knows that. And uh, there is a song, the anchor holds, though the ship is battered. <clears throat> the anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I faced the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. And that anchor for us as believers is beyond the veil. And <clears throat> he is Christ. And we're anchored in him. And that's good to know at this time. We're going to bow together in prayer. Seek the Lord together. Christ still gets into the boat <clears throat> in the midst of the storm. And he journeys with us in the seas of this life. And our motto text reminds us that with God, nothing shall be impossible. We know that. And just as we're bowed in prayer, we want to thank the congregation who were aware of the situation with William, William McDermott, who went missing and was missing from four o'clock until the wee hours of the morning, but he was found. He was found safe. He was brought home and he's doing okay. So just continue to remember William and the foster family that he's with and her sister Jennifer here. Remember, Maureen, we've mentioned, and we, Joa, in the hospital. And Story is still in hospital. She would hope to get out tomorrow if that was possible. Our sister Margaret Carey is still in hospital. And we've been remembering Helen's father, Ernie Monteith, who is very unwell and weak at this time. So these are the ones that we are remembering particularly. Heavenly Father, there is a place of refuge and safety that we can come to. And we know that our God is that place. He is a pavilion to the people of God. He is that anchor that we've mentioned. He is our rock, our fortress, our high tower. All these beautiful descriptions that your word reminds us about concerning the refuge that we have in God. And we can proclaim that God is our refuge and strength. And he's a very present help in trouble. How often we have run to the Psalm 46. And we've thought about the great commotions in the earth described by David. Mountains being ripped up and cast into the midst of the sea. Just really an earthquake taking place. And yet in the midst of it all, God is still the refuge of his people. And we're told to be still and know that I am God. Lord, you know <clears throat> the circumstances in which we meet as a congregation. There's so much sickness, 
connected to the church family, these names that we've mentioned and the others that are on the list and more besides, known to the Lord, for He knows the detail. He knows every situation that we find ourselves in. I want to thank you today for the, the finding of William that night brought home safely for an answered prayer. We pray for Maureen in a time when she's nearing the gates of glory, it would seem that that will be her refuge and her strength as thou hast been all her life. For baby Joah, that you will touch the little boy, raise him completely to health and strength. May they find out the diagnosis and be able to administer exactly what's needed. We pray for Anne that she will be restored to health and home very soon as the desire of her heart would be, bless Raymond too, in the midst of their storm. And for Margaret, we thank you that she's anchored in Christ and her anchor goes beyond the veil also. Be with her in these days of trouble. Remember Ernie also and we thank thee for such a long life that you've given to him and such a witness that he's been and testimony within the wider church family. And we pray that great grace will be upon him in these days, that you will help him in times of pain and suffering, that you will alleviate that as family and friends rally round. We pray that there'll be an encouragement, but most of all, may the Savior be there. For our sister Lydia, you know what this week has unfolded for her, for Ryan, for the Story family, the Moore family, the wider family circle, her friends. We do rejoice that all things work together for good, even when we can't interpret divine providence and when we enter into such a time, yet we are assured of the truth of your word that somehow in the mysterious plan of God, these things are blending together for our good and we know for your glory. We thank you that Lydia loves the Lord and we thank you that she's called according to his purpose. And therefore, this promise is for her and for her family. And we pray that we will hold on to the great unchangeable truths of your word. We thank you that we can say, dear Savior, thou art mine. Nothing changes that. Nothing separates us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we think of all the things that Paul mentions there at the end of Romans 8 all the various scenarios that could come our way that might threaten to separate us from the love of God. And yet he says nothing, absolutely nothing can do that. For we are united to him forevermore and his love is everlasting and it is upon us every day. And we pray that Lydia and Ryan and their wee family will prove that to be so. In the midst of the storm, may the Lord come by and Say, peace be still, it is I, be not afraid. And we pray that you'll carry her through all treatment that she has to receive and raise her up for the glory of God. You're able to do these things. We believe that with all of our hearts because nothing shall be impossible with thee. We hand this day over to the Lord in all its parts of worship, all that has taken place already in Sunday school and Bible class, the early season of prayer. And tonight's family night is... Uh, Dr. Campbell comes to testify, Lord, just be here with us. That's the all-important thing. The presence of God to be known, the voice of the Lord to be heard. 
and the ministry of the Spirit applying His Word to every heart as we gather here. You know this congregation. You know us individually and personally. You know our families, and you know exactly where we are and what we're going through. And for all that are in times of trial today, Lord, be their portion and lift them higher to a real conscious sense of the presence of God with them. And for those among us who are not saved, bring them to Christ. And for backsliders, Lord, restore them to their first love. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together 473. Out beneath your burden, is there none to share? Weary with the journey, is there none to care? Courage, wayworn traveler, heed your Lord's command. There's a thought to cheer you. Thank God Jesus understands.
seated. We welcome you uh, warmly and in Jesus' name to the congregation today and those that are joining us on the internet, of course. Always glad to have you. Sermon Audio, Facebook and YouTube, we broadcast on all medias. So welcome to Hebron this morning. There is a special time of prayer. This was originally planned for our elders with so much sickness and with William's disappearance, with Lydia's news, we decided to have a couple of times of prayer. So we immediately had a time of prayer that morning that we decided this by Zoom. So back to the old Zoom days. And then we felt that we will have a prayer meeting in-house at 5.30. I'm going to leave that open for anyone to come to. If you're free to come at 5.30, just you know the circumstances of the congregation and what we're passing through. And anyone that wants to come and join us a little bit earlier tonight, uh, please do come and seek uh, the Lord at the throne of grace. That's what the church does in times of need. You search through the scriptures, and when the church was in need, it got to prayer, came together, and that's what we want to do. We have our family night, and Dr. Campbell is coming to give a personal word of testimony, pictures of grace in the life of a Christian doctor, and again, continue to share the invitation, make others aware of it. Supper will be served, and ladies, if you can help with this, it's always appreciated to bring a half a loaf of sandwiches and a dozen buns. In the morning, the Hebron Tots meets at 10 o'clock. I want you to pray for the school's ministry this week. Um, we'll be speaking at each of these, God willing, Monday in Dalriada SU, that's at lunchtime, Tuesday morning in the William Pinkerton Memorial, and Wednesday afternoon, the model, and then Thursday, the Laney. So pray that the Lord will go before us and prepare the way. Monday night is the Sunday school teachers' prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. Tuesday is the senior fellowship at 11. And Tuesday evening, the youth challenge at 7 p.m. This is a busy week. It now is upon us for the Wednesday night ladies' fellowship. The Hebron ladies will sing, and Margaret Russell will be here to testify Thursday night, one of our deacons, Mr. Victor Galt, will be bringing the word, and there'll be special prayer for the youth ministry. I'll be at the Christian Workers Training Academy in Tandragee, God willing. So pray for Victor as he comes, that the Lord will enable him and bless him. Friday, the youth fellowship is at eight o'clock, and I'm destined to preach or speak there, share the word with the young people. Do come. Saturday is a work day. I put the time 9 o'clock, knowing some you might be here at 8, but uh, if you want confirmation of the time, if you see some of our committee, uh, maybe Philip Calderwood, and he'll give you the, the time exactly. Lord's Day begins with, eight, with the early morning prayer meeting at 8, Sunday school at 10.30, Bible class quarter to 11, good gui guidance for godly living is the subject Mervyn's dealing with. And this is a study in James's epistle, Happiness and Sadness. Worship service, 12 noon. And then in the evening time, it will be the ordination and installation of Samuel. 
as an elder to this congregation. So do invite others to come. Supper will be served. And again, ladies, half a loaf of sandwiches and a dozen buns, please. The North Coast Youth Rally is tonight in Bush Mills at a quarter to nine. David McCauley is the speaker and a hot supper will be provided. So young people, if you're able to go, you're welcome. We've been announcing the Youth Council 50th anniversary rally scheduled for the 16th of February in the Martyrs Memorial. And we're encouraging where possible to get to the mission board uh, 50th anniversary uh, meetings in Lisburn from the 6th to the 8th of March and going on into the Saturday night as well, <clears throat> the 9th of March. The ordination and installation service of Jonathan Story, who received and accepted the call to Mount Marion on Friday night, will take place on Friday the 8th of March at 8 o'clock, and that will be because it's a larger building in the Martyrs Memorial. We will certainly plan to get as many of you there as possible. This is historic for us as a church, as Jonathan has received this call and will go to be the minister in one of our Belfast churches. And if you need transport, very, very happy to lay on the church minibuses if needs be. But uh, keep that in mind, Friday the 8th. Paul Foster, the Reverend Paul Foster, received and accepted the call to mourn Free Presbyterian Church. So remember the Lord's servant as he leaves his congregation in Dromore and goes to mourn. And please continue to pray for the sick of the congregation. We were singled out a few already, and uh, maybe a couple to add to that list. Obviously, Lydia with us here, and little Joa Mooring we've mentioned. Then we've been asked to remember Mary Owens. Uh, she has surgery on Wednesday. Pray that the Lord will be with her. And we're thinking of Donald Fleming. Donald came through his procedure successfully this week. It was a long time uh, to be in a theater, but he's come out of it and come out well, and is doing well, recovery. He's been in hospital for four weeks, so continue to pray for Donald's recovery and health and strength. Uh, we've mentioned also Helen's dad, Ernie Monteith, who's been in the Free Church for so long, and uh, most of you will know Ernie, uh, an elder in the Oma Church. An old man now, but needing the Lord's touch and help and grace in his sickness. We continue to pray for Ukraine that the Lord will end the war and likewise for what's happening in relation to Israel that the Lord will bring wars to an end. Sitting right back at the, <clears throat> the rear of the church is Paul, Paul Cameron and Paul, there's no secrets in the free church really. And uh, on Wednesday you celebrate a significant birthday. Just let me hasten to say he's not 70. All right, just in case anybody thinks he is. And he's not 50. Uh, so it is significant somewhere there, somewhere in between. So the Lord bless you, Paul. Encourage you. I want to thank those who came in and helped pack the two pallets, two different places they'll go to in Romania. These children were in at the start, and they helped carry some boxes down. And then there was a query, do we send them to Romania or not? Uh, but their father was present and their grandfather was present, and we decided no. Uh, but the two pallets have been prepared, and this is the team that came in and did the work. Thank you. 
pray for the open-air ministry. David preached the word yesterday without people heard, they listened, and we know that God's word will never return to him empty. That's the promise of God. And these are the folks came, about 20 people came and stood at the open air, and that's tremendous, a great encouragement to all of us, and especially John, who oversees this ministry. These are all the announcements to make. We bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord now. Let the Bible speak envelopes. Missionary Covenant supports you today. And please remember, once a year, on the first Sunday of February, we lift an offering to encourage the teachers of our Christian school. So please keep that in mind when you come to the offerings today. We sing together 454. The Master has come, and He calls us to follow the track of the footprints He leaves on the way. For over the mountain and through the deep hollow, the path leads us on to the mansions of day. We'll keep our seats as the offering is received.
good to have friends. So I've just been informed that Carl Holmes has the same birthday on the same day as Paul. And whereas I don't mind hinting at what age Paul is, Carl's a lady, so I'll not tell you what her age is, but we trust that she'll have a good birthday on Wednesday also. Now we come to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. I was very tempted to, to change direction, and then I felt I just couldn't go there today. Uh, so we had prepared this. There's a word for us here in Mark 11, and I trust that the Lord will speak to us. We've been in this chapter a couple of weeks as we have thought about the entry of Christ into Jerusalem, and at the end of verse 11, there's a little, there's a little line <clears throat> that I want to draw your attention to. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door, without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. <coughs> and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches of the trees, and strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. May the Lord be pleased to take his word, write it upon every heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for your word the greatness of it, the simplicity of it, and how it searches out our hearts. We pray that you will speak to us. We believe you've spoken already, even in the reading of the Word, for this is your truth. And we praise you today. It's been given by the inspiration of God. And every time we read it, there's profit for us. As we glean again in this 11th chapter of Mark, we pray that our hearts will be open to your Word. We pray that you will speak to all that are gathered here and let not one leave without hearing from heaven thy dwelling place, the voice of our beloved. May that be discerned. May it be known. Help me, Lord, to bring your word. I'm a weak vessel, I know that. But you give power. You promise power to your ministers. Oh, endue me with power from on high. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And just at the end of the reading, at the end of verse 11, it says he went out onto Bethany with the twelve. 
and I want to think about a family at Bethany. What we've read, of course, is the triumphal ride of the Lord Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem a few days before the cross when he would go there to die for our sins. And there's many wonderful scenes and wonderful lessons to learn, as I'm sure you'll agree. We learned that the disciples were given a very simple task, fetching a colt for Christ. And yet God took that very simple task and he turned it into a mighty outcome. And so often some of the small things we do are used in a mighty way for the Lord. We should be encouraged by that. And then we learned that the colt was perfectly tame beneath Christ. This animal that was unbroken, it had never been ridden upon before. No one had ever sat upon it. And yet it is perfectly tame as the Lord Jesus Christ not only sits upon it, but rides into the city. We learned also that a weak instrument was chosen for a mighty purpose. And if God can use a donkey, he can use you and me. We learn also the owner of the colt was more than willing for his animal to be used simply because it was for Christ. The Lord hath need of him. And we should be willing to part with anything or allow our possessions to be used for any purpose in Christian work and service if the Lord has need of it. We learn also the people shout and they praise Christ as the King coming to their city. The crowd also, we learn, was so fickle. For just in the matter of a few days, they're going to Christ something entirely different. It's not going to be Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. No, it's going to be away with him and crucify him. And the unconverted, unregenerate, their hearts can change so, so quickly. We learn also how Jesus showed great humility riding upon this beast. And he showed great determination mentioned how he, he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. We see the eyes of Christ were, were fixed upon Jerusalem. That's where we ended last time, last week, when he wept over the city that came into his view as he thought of the lost souls that lived there. And then we've read in this final verse, verse 11 of our reading, that Christ visited the temple and he simply looked round about that's all he did on this occasion. He was going to do something greater the next day, but just simply went to the temple, looked round about, surveyed it, and then we discover he retired to Bethany, to a special family. At the end of this marvelous day, when Jesus rode in triumph into Jerusalem, when the people hailed him as the king, and he himself wept over lost sinners, Jesus retires with his disciples to the little village of Bethany, where he spends the night. Indeed, he spends the next number of nights there with very dear friends. And this is a home that Jesus loved to visit. He went there often. There's an old motto. Some of you may have it in your home or may in the past have had it in your home. We certainly had it as children growing up. I could take you to the very place where it stood over one of the doors of our home when I was just a little boy, where the motto said, Christ is the head of this home, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. I think that motto was known to so many of you. And it should be our desire to have the Lord dwelling in our homes. 
to know his presence. Oh, dear child of God, do you know the presence of the Lord in your home? Is he pleased to dwell with your family? Is he worshipped, honored, respected, loved, and defended in your home? Do you know that there are some things that, that you wouldn't do if you really had a conscious sense of the presence of the Lord with you in your home? There was a home in Bethany that Jesus frequented. The home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. A few days before his death, Jesus made his way into this village. He desired to visit a certain home in that place and be with friends that he loved just before his death. Of all the places that he could have visited, of all the families that he could have fellowship with, of all the homes that he could have desired and lodged in, he chose this home. Wouldn't you like to know what kind of home it was that Jesus loved to visit? What kind of people that, that lived there that, that made their company so attractive to the Son of God? I would. I'd like my home to be like theirs where Jesus could call at any time and feel welcome every day not just Sundays when we're all religious but every day of the week where the Lord would be warmly entreated and would stay at any hour I want my home to be a place where I can say sincerely and honestly come in Lord Jesus for thou art welcome here. Is that the kind of home you want, dear child of God? Well, let's think about this family at Bethany, this home that Jesus loved to visit. And we're going to do a little study, take you to the Gospel of Luke and also John in particular. And can I turn your attention to Luke chapter 10, first of all, and verse 38, because it is a home that welcomed him. And I think you see it from, from this text of Scripture. Chapter 10 of Luke, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her home. You can't read that without seeing here is a home that received him, a home that welcomed him. And this certainly was a home where it could be said, come in, Lord Jesus you are welcome here. There was always an open door. There was always a warm invitation. Always a ready heart to receive the Lord. The members of this family didn't care what their neighbors thought. Many Jews vehemently opposed the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that, especially now. His ministry is almost over. Hatred had grown against the Lord. Some of them no doubt lived in Bethany. But this family is unashamed. And they are unafraid to identify with the Savior. This house was an open door to him. This house was a place that was marked out by all who lived in that village where Jesus was loved and respected and worshipped. The Savior probably didn't announce his visits wherever he went. He didn't send his disciples ahead of him just to inform the family that he was going to stay with, I'm here. 
I don't think he did it on this occasion. But you see, this was a home that was always ready to receive him. Nothing needed to be changed. Nothing needed to be reorganized. Nothing needed to be put away or hidden. This family didn't look out the window and see Jesus and his disciples coming up their path and say, oh no, look who's coming to our home today. They didn't have to rush about and begin to change this and that or hide things, put them away. I wonder, would you be ashamed to invite Christ into your home this very day? Would he be welcomed there? Or would you be embarrassed? There are some things in professing Christian homes, and it's sad, and it's disappointing. Some conversations that are held that ought never to be held. Some programs on television that should never be watched because they're filled with immorality and they're filled with things that are totally anti-Christian. Some internet sites, perhaps, that are visited that should never be visited. Some social media that are looked at ought not to be. Papers, worldly magazines lying about. Maybe music that is listened to that's dishonoring to the Lord and the walls that are adorned with, with the pop stars or the film stars of this world. I wonder, would Jesus be welcomed in your home or would changes have to be made before he came? Well, let's remember, if you're a Christian, he's always there. His eyes are always upon you. You should keep that in mind. A home that welcomed him, received him. And then, if you look at the same passage, verse 39, it was a home that heard him. Because we are told here in the next verse, verse 39, that Martha had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. As soon as the Savior entered this home, there was at least one eager heart to attend to his teaching, one who just to sit there and listen to him. What has the Lord got to say to me today? And of course, that was Mary. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She wanted to give her attention over to him. She wanted to catch every word that fell from his lips. Her first thought when Jesus came to the home is, what has he got to say to me today? Jesus commends Mary for this. Does so there in verse 42 at the end of the chapter. One thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. That good part, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he had to say, a lesson that all of us must learn. We must never forget this. Put a high value upon what we call your quiet time, your quiet time as a Christian. Every day, and maybe several times in the day, just to get alone with the Lord, just to very simply sit at his feet and, and listen to what he has to say. You, you put a very high value on it. Don't let anything intrude upon it. Put a high value if you have a family upon the family worship, the family altar. When you gather your, your children around your feet and you sit in the home and the Word of God is open, what's the Lord got to say to us as a family today? You put a high value upon it. Be like Mary and learn from her. Have high opinions of it and let, let other things take the second place. You make sure that you're an individual that hears from the Lord and as a family sitting in your home, you hear from him, a home that heard him. 
I want you to turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 11, a home that desired him. This is a very sad scene in chapter 11. You know what's happening here. The brother of this family, Lazarus, is taken sick. And Jesus is sent for. He delays his coming. And by the time the Lord, a few days later, arrives, Lazarus has gone to the grave. He's dead. Uh, but it's still a home that desired to have him. Look at verse 20 of chapter 11 of John. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Go down to verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come and calleth for thee. Verse 29. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. I see desire here. I want to be with the Lord. It seems that Martha was, was earnestly expecting the arrival of Jesus. She waited for him. She inquired after him. Is he coming? Is there any word yet? As she inquired of people that lived round about her home. And then the word came. He's coming now. As soon as this news reached the ears of Martha, she wasted no time. Immediately she left her home just to go to be where Jesus was. Perhaps so relieved and excited that the Savior was coming, she left without telling Mary. Oh, that could have happened because Mary just, she sat all in the home. I have no doubt in my mind if Mary knew the same information as Martha, she would have got up too and ran to be with Jesus. But out goes Martha. And then as we read the other words, you see, as soon as Mary heard, it's the master, he's here, she did the same. It was a time of sorrow and grief and mourning and great need. And in the midst of the sorrow, the sadness, the trouble, the heartbreak, these sisters longed to be with Christ. Though there were things they, they failed to understand, <clears throat> why did he not come sooner? Why did he not prevent the deaths of their brother? Why did he not even prevent his sickness that took his life? Why did he allow his brother to die? Despite all those things that were questioning, uh, questions in their mind and heart, they still wanted to be with him. They didn't blame him for what had happened. They just wanted to be with Christ. And in such times, we want to be like them, don't we? Times when disappointment comes and sorrow and things that we can't understand and interpret. We just want to go to be with the Lord because we love him. And that's what this family was like. That's what these sisters were like. They desired the Lord, especially now in their time of great need. And then you'll notice in chapter 11, it was a home that believed him. Look at verse 21. Then said Mary unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Look at the end of verse 22, because Mary gives the same testimony. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You see, there was faith. They believed if the Lord was there, he wouldn't have died. Their brother, that is. But you know, their faith was weak. Both Martha and Mary had faith to say, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Yet neither of them seemed to remember that 
if the Lord had thought of it and thought fit, he could have prevented his death with just a word. He didn't have to come to, to Bethany. He just needed to, to think it in his mind or pray it, and all would have been well. Now, Martha could go a little bit further. Look at verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I think we could say that she saw through a glass darkly. Things were not perfectly clear about what might happen now. It was more down the line. It was distant. She knows, she feels sure that her brother will rise at the last day, but, but that was in the distance. She didn't say, I know that he can rise now. So her faith was more general than it was particular. And you know, we're like her. We believe things that are afar off. Rarely do we find a saint who, who doesn't need to pray and pray often, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. This is our infirmity. But despite the weakness, it was a home that believed him. Oh, may the Lord help us to trust in him at all times. Look at verse 32 again. It was a home that reverenced him. When Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Mary fell at his feet in humility and in surrender and submission. She surrendered and bowed to his will in what was done. He knows the way, as the hymn writer said. He holds the key. He guides us with unerring hand. And Mary knew that. She runs to the Lord as soon as she sees him. She just falls at his feet. That speaks of reverence, and that speaks of submission to what has happened in their family. This home bowed at the Savior's feet, even in times of great adversity. And let us have homes like that, that fall before the Lord and submit our way unto Him, for He knows best. A home that reverenced Him. Look at chapter 12 and verse 2. It is a home that served him. There they made a, him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. This household showed great hospitality. Seems that this feast was actually arranged to celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus, and people had been invited and had gathered in for this very purpose. And here's Martha, and she is serving. She could not sit still and do nothing while her Lord was in the home. She, she must serve. That's how she felt. We know that she served before, but was cumbered with it, but not so on this occasion. You know, when we're saved, we're no longer our own. We're bought with a price, the price of the blood of the Savior. And we belong to Him. And we give ourselves over to the Lord to, to serve Him. And we look for opportunities to do something for Him, no matter how menial that task might be. And, and here it was serving, it was pre pre preparing a feast, a dinner. 
And we never despise even that little that our ladies do so frequently when they serve the Lord by providing the sandwiches and the, the buns and the cakes and whatever it is that you do. It's a little work for the Lord. And Martha was like that, and she provided for the Lord and for the disciples, in fact, for all who had gathered that day because she just wanted to serve him. May we be like her. May we have homes that serve the Lord and do what we can, even in small things as well as those things that are great. And then in verse 3, we can say it was a home that loved him. Look at verse 3 of chapter 12. Then Mary took, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Used the hair as a, as a kind of a towel. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, the washing of feet was not unusual or uncommon in Eastern countries. In fact, it was a practice when people came to your home, visitors came, guests came, that they would wash your feet, and they would normally do it with water, of course, and maybe, maybe they would dab on a little bit of perfume or, or ointment thereafter. The heat was very intense, and the feet were exposed to dryness and scorching, and, and so this practice, when people had been on a journey, they would have their feet washed. The motive of Mary was love and gratitude. She was so thankful for what the Lord had done for her. You think this is her master, this is her savior. Indeed, this is the one that's going to the cross very shortly to lay down his life. And Mary's heart is filled with, with adoration and praise and love towards the Savior. And she was so thankful for what Jesus had done for her brother in that he had raised him to life again. And her heart is filled with joy. And so nothing was too great, nothing was too hard, nothing was too menial for him. Having freely received she freely gave. Mary didn't get a servant to do this. This home seemed to be a relatively wealthy home, probably belonged to Martha. They didn't get a servant to do this and anoint the feet. No, Mary did it herself. And she anointed the feet of Christ and not the head, just showing great humility on her part. And it was liberal. This whole box of ointment, this spikenard that was very costly, was, was poured upon the feet of the Savior. She poured out so much ointment that the scent filled the whole house where they were. She thought nothing too great to bestow on Christ. And you know, the Lord later commended her for it and said that she had done it for his burial. I think Mary had real insight to what Christ had now come to the city to do. And she's going to show her love to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to the cross for her. And so she takes this box of ointment. And if you try to calculate what the cost might be for the ordinary working man in that day, it was a year's wages, a whole year's wages just poured out on the feet of the Savior that she loved. And that was her motive. Those who love Christ they will be generous. Those who love him will give their best for him. And the thought will be when here, when you make Christ welcome, it fills your house with a sweet odor. 
Here's a family, and this is where we began, who welcomed Christ into their home. And the family that welcomes Christ in such a way will have a sweetness about that home that even when visitors come, oh, they'll, they'll detect the presence of the Lord and they'll know something of the, the love that that family has for the Savior. Let our homes be like this. May Christ be pleased to come and dwell with us often in our homes. And may he be that guest that is always welcome. I trust that it will be so. A family in Bethany, may we be like this family for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Give us homes, Lord, that are built firm upon the Savior. Give us homes where he's always welcomed, where nothing has to be put away or rearranged that we'd be embarrassed about if Jesus was to come physically. And yet we know that he's always there. Lord, forgive us for conversations that are held in his presence that should never be held, things that are said that should never be said, things that are done that should never be done, things that are amiss in our homes that should not be. Give us that awareness of the Lord and the greatness and wonder of his infinite presence is always there, beholding us, watching us, gazing upon us. And Lord, with that in mind, may he always be welcomed. And may we always sense his presence and honor him and love him and submit to him and pour out our love upon him where we get the opportunity to do so. Oh, Lord, bless these thoughts. They are just thoughts to every heart. For Jesus' sake, amen. My Jesus, I love thee. 371. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the pleasures of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, art thou. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now.
As ever, we pray that your word would be written upon our heart. Help us to obey it, live by it, be taught by it. We have been instructed today by a family. We pray that we will take heed to this family and seek to be like them by your grace. And Lord, continue to be with this church, this congregation. Remember those in particular need, those that are in hospital, from the little one to the most senior among them. We pray that your hand will be upon them for good. And for our sister Lydia, and for Ryan and her children and their families, that you will bless them with a real conscious sense of the Lord's nearness, his presence round about them, carrying them through every moment of every day and giving peace in the midst of the storm. For Jesus' sake, amen.